This is a recording of Andrew Marvell's Upon Appleton House, read by Michael Elliott. The text is from The Complete Poems, edited by Elizabeth Story Dono and published by Penguin in 2005. Upon Appleton House To My Lord Fairfax Within this sober frame expect work of no foreign architect, that unto caves the quarries drew, and forests did to pastures hew, who of his great design in pain did for a model vault his brain, whose columns should so high be raised to arch the brows that on them gazed. Why should, of all things, man unruled such unproportioned dwellings build? The beasts are by their dens expressed, and birds contrive an equal nest. The low-roofed tortoises do dwell in cases fit of tortoise-shell. No creature loves an empty space. Their bodies measure out their place. But he, superfluously spread, demands more room alive than dead, and in his hollow palace goes where winds as he themselves may lose. What need of all this marble crust impark the wanton moat of dust that thinks by breadth the world to unite, though the first builders failed in height? But all things are composed here like nature, orderly and near, in which we the dimensions find of that more sober age and mind, when larger sized men did stoop to enter at a narrow loop, as practising indoors so straight to strain themselves through heaven's gate. And surely, when the after-age shall hither come in pilgrimage, these sacred places do adore, by Vere and Fairfax trod before, men will dispute how their extent within such dwarfish confines went, and some will smile at this, as well as Romulus his bee-like cell. Humility alone designs those short but admirable lines, by which, ungirt and unconstrained, things greater are in less contained." Let others vainly strive to mure the circle in the quadrature. These holy mathematics can in equal figure equal man. Yet thus the laden house does sweat, and scarce endures the master great. But where he comes, the swelling hall stirs, and the square grows spherical, more by his magnitude distressed than he is by its straightness. Pressed, and too officiously it slights that in itself which him delights. So honour better lowness bears than that unwonted greatness wears. Height with a certain grace does bend, but low things clownishly ascend. And yet there ne what needs there here excuse, where everything does answer use, where needness nothing can condemn, nor pride invent what to contemn? A stately frontispiece of poor adorns without the open door, nor less the rooms within commends daily new furniture of friends. The house was built upon the place only as for a mark of grace, and for an inn to entertain its lord a while but not remain. 
Him Bishop's Hill or Denton may or Bilbra better hold than they, but nature here hath been so free as if she said, Leave this to me. Art would more neatly have defaced what she had laid so sweetly waste in fragrant gardens, shady woods, deep meadows, and transparent floods. While with slow eyes we these survey, and on each pleasant footstep stay, we opportunely may relate the progress of this house's fate. A nunnery first gave it birth, for virgin buildings oft brought forth. And all that neighbor ruin shows the quarries whence this dwelling rose. Near to this gloomy cloister's gates there dwelt the blooming virgin Thwaites, fair beyond measure, and an air which might deformity make fair, and off she spent the summer suns discoursing with the noble nuns. Whence in these words one to her weaved, as twere by chance, thoughts long conceived. Within this holy leisure we live innocently, as you see. These walls restrain the world without, but hedge our liberty about. These bars enclose that wider den of those wild creatures called men. The cloister outward shuts its gates, and from us locks on them the grates. Here we, in shining armor white, like virgin Amazons, do fight. And our chaste lamps we hourly trim, lest the great bridegroom find them dim. Our orient breaths perfumed are with incense of incessant prayer, and holy water of our tears most strangely our complexion clears. Not tears of grief, but such as those with which calm pleasure overflows, or pity when we look on you that live without this happy vow. How should we grieve that must be seen each one a spouse and each a queen, and can in heaven hence behold our brighter robes and crowns of gold? When we have prayed all our beads, someone the holy legend reads, while all the rest with needles paint the face and graces of the saint. But what the linen can't receive, they in their lives do interweave. This work the saints best represents, that serves for altars' ornaments. But much it to our work would add, if here your hand, your face, we had. By it we would our lady touch, yet thus she you resembles much. Some of your features, as we sewed, through every shrine should be bestowed, and in one beauty we would take enough a thousand saints to make. And, for I dare not quench the fire that me does for your good inspire, twere sacrilege a man to admit to see two holy things for heaven fit. I see the angels in a crown on you, the lilies showering down, and, ab and around about you glory breaks that something more than human speaks. All beauty when at such a height is so already consecrate. Fairfax, I know, and long ere this have marked the youth and what he is, but can he such a rival seem for whom you, heaven, should disesteem? Ah, no, and t'would more honour prove he or devoto were than love.'
Here live beloved and obeyed, each one your sister, each your maid. And if our rule seem strictly penned, the rule itself to you shall bend. Our abbess, too, now far in age, doth your succession near presage. How soft the yoke on us would lie, might such fair hands as yours it tie. Your voice, the sweetest of the choir, shall draw heaven nearer, raise us higher. And your example, if our head will soon us to perfection lead. Those virtues to us all so dear will straight grow sanctity when here, and that, once sprung, increase so fast till miracles it work at last. Nor is our order yet so nice, delight to banish as a vice. Here pleasure piety doth meet, one perfecting the other sweet. So, through the mortal fruit we boil the sugar's uncorrupting oil, and that which perished while we pull is thus preserved, clear and full. For such indeed are all our arts, still handling nature's finest parts. Flowers dress the altars. For the clothes, the sea-born amber we compose. Balms for the grieved we draw, and pastes we mold as baits for curious tastes. What need is here of man, unless these as sweet sins we should confess? Each night among us to your side appoint a fresh and virgin bride, whom, if our Lord at midnight find, yet neither should be left behind. Where you may lie as chaste in bed as pearls together billeted, all night embracing arm and arm like crystal pure with cotton warm. But... What is this to all the store of joys you see and may make more? Try but a while, if you be wise, the trial neither costs nor ties. Now, Fairfax, seek her promised faith, religion that dispensed hath, which she henceforward does begin, the nun's smooth tongue has sucked her in. Oft, though he knew it was in vain, yet would he valiantly complain. Is this that sanctity so great, an art by which you finelier cheat? Hypocrite witches, hence avaunt, though who, though in prison yet enchant. Death only can such thieves make fast, as rob, though in the dungeon cast. Were there, but when this house was made, one stone that a just hand had laid, it must have fallen upon her head, who first thee from thy faith misled. And yet, how well soever meant, with them twould soon grow fraudulent, for like themselves they alter all, and vice infects the very wall. But sure, these buildings last not long, founded by folly, kept by wrong. I know what fruit their gardens yield, when they, it think by night concealed, fly from their vices. Tis thy state, not thee, that they would consecrate. Fly from their ruin. How I fear, though guiltless, lest thou perish there. What should he do? He would respect religion, but not right neglect. For first religion taught him right, and dazzled naught but cleared his sight. Sometimes resolved his sword he draws, but 
reverenceth then the laws for justice still that courage led first from a judge then soldier bred small honor would be in the storm the court him grants the lawful form which licensed either peace or force to hinder the unjust divorce yet still the nuns his right debarred standing upon their holy guard ill-counselled women do you know whom you resist or what you do is not this he whose offspring fierce shall fight through all the universe, and with successive valor try France, Poland, either Germany, till one, as long since prophesied, his horse through conquered Britain ride? Yet against fate his spouse they kept, and the great race would intercept. Some to the breach against their foes their wooden saints in vain oppose, another bolder stands at push with their old holy water brush, while the disjointed abbess threads the jingling chain-shot of her beads. But their loudest cannon were their lungs, and sharpest weapons were their tongues. But waving these aside like flies, young Fairfax through the wall does rise. Then, th then the unfrequented vault appeared, and superstitions vainly feared. The relics false were set to view, only the jewels there were true, but truly bright and holy thwaites that weeping at the altar waits. But the glad youth away her bears, and to the nuns bequeaths her tears, who guiltily their prize bemoan like gypsies that a child had stolen. Thenceforth, as when the enchantment ends, the castle vanishes or rends, the wasting cloister with the rest was in one instant dispossessed. At the demolishing, this seat to Fairfax fell as by a sheet, and what both nuns and founders willed, tis likely better thus fulfilled. For if the virgin proved not theirs, the cloister yet remained hers, Though many a nun there made her vow, T'was no religious house till now. From that blessed bed the hero came, Whom France and Poland yet does fame, Who, when retired here to peace, His warlike studies could not cease, But laid these gardens out in sport In the just figure of a fort, And with five bastions it did fence, As aiming one for every sense. When, in the east, the morning ray hangs out the colors of the day, the bee through these known alleys hums, beating the diane with its drums, then flowers their drowsy eyelids raise, their silken ensigns we each displays, and dries its pan yet dank with dew, and fills its flask with odors new. These, as their governor goes by, in fragrant volleys they let fly, and to salute their governess, again as, as great a charge they press. None for the virgin nymph, for she seems with the flowers a flower to be, and thinks so still, though not compare with breath so sweet or cheek so fair. Well shot, ye firemen, oh, how sweet and round your equal fires do meet, whose shrill report no ear can tell, but echoes to the eye and smell. See how the flowers, as at parade under their colors, stand displayed. Each regiment in order grows, that of the tulip, pink, and rose. 
But when the vigilant patrol of stars walks round about the pole, their leaves that to the stalks are curled seems to their staves the ensigns furled. Then in some flower's beloved hut each bee as sentinel is shot, and sleeps so too. But if once stirred, she runs you through, nor asks the word. O oh, thou, that dear and happy isle, the garden of the world, erewhile, thou paradise of four seas, which heaven planted us to please, but to exclude the world did guard with watery, if not flaming sword, what luckless apple did we taste to make us mortal and thee waste? Unhappy, shall we nevermore that sweet militia restore, when gardens only had their towers, and all the garrisons were flowers, when roses only arms might bear, and men did rosy garlands wear, tulips in several colors barred were then the switzers of our guard. The gardener had the soldier's place, and his more gentle forts did trace. The nursery of all things green was then the only magazine. The winter quarters were the stoves where he the tender plants removes. But war all this doth overgrow. We ordnance plant and powder so. And yet there walks one on the sod who, had it pleased him and God, might once have made our garden spring fresh as his own and flourishing, but he preferred to the sink-ports these five imaginary forts, and in those half-dry trenches spanned power which the ocean might command. For he did, with his utmost skill, ambition, weed, but conscience, till conscience, that heaven-nursed plant which most our earthy gardens want, a prickling leaf it bears, and such as that, that which shrinks at every touch, but flowers eternal and divine that in the crowns of saints do shine. The sight does from these bastions ply the invisible artillery, and at proud Cawood Castle seems to point the battery of its beams, as if it quarrelled in the seat the ambition of its prelate great, but o'er the meads below it plays, or innocently seems to graze. And now to the abyss I pass of that unfathomable grass, where men like grasshoppers appear, but grasshoppers are giants there. They, in their squeaking laugh, condemn us as we walk more low than them. And from the precipices tall of the green spires to us do call. To see men through this meadow dive, we wonder how they rise alive, as under water none does know whether he fall through it or go. But as the mariners that sound and show upon their lead the ground, they bring up flowers so to be seen, and prove they've at the bottom been. No scene that turns with engines strange does oftener than these meadows change. For when the sun, the grass, hath vexed, the tawny mowers enter next, who seem like Israelites to be, walking on foot through a green sea, to them the grassy deeps divide and crowd a lane to either side. 
with, with whistling sigh and elbow strong, these massacre the grass along, while one unknowing carves the rail whose yet unfeathered quills her fail. The edge all bloody from its breast he draws, and does his stroke detest, fearing the flesh untimely mowed to him a fate as black forebode. But bloody Thyestless that waits to bring the mowing camp their cates, greedy as kites, has trussed it up, and forthwith means on it to sup, when on another quick she lights and cries, He called us Israelites, but now to make his saying true, rain, rails rain for quails, for manna dew. Unhappy birds, what does it boot to build below the grass's root, when lowness is unsafe as height, and chance o'ertakes what scapeth spite? And now your orphan parents' call sounds your untimely funeral. Death trumpets creak in such a note, and tis the sardine in their throat. Or sooner hatch, or higher build, the mower now commands the field, in whose new traverse seemeth wrought a camp of battle nearly fought, where, as the meads with hay, the plain lies quilted o'er with bodies slain, the women that with forks it fling do represent the pillaging. And now... The careless victors play, dancing the triumphs of the hay, where every mower's wholesome heat smells like an Alexander's sweat. Their females fragrant as the mead which they in fairy circles tread, when at their dance's end they kiss, their new-made hay naught sweeter is. When after this tis piled in cocks like a calm sea, it shows the rocks, we wandering in the river near how boats along them safely steer, or like the desert Memphis sand, short pyramids of hay do stand, and such the Roman camps do rise in hills for soldiers' obsequies. This scene again withdrawing begins a new and empty face of things, a leveled space, as smooth and plain as cloths for lely stretched to stain. The world, when first created, sure was such a table race and pure, or rather such is the toril ere the bulls enter at mandrill. For to this naked equal flat, which levellers take pattern at, the villagers in common chase their cattle, which it closer race. And what below the scythe increased is pinched yet nearer by the beast. Such in the painted world appeared davenant with the universal herd. They seem within the polished grass a landscape drawn in looking-glass, and shrunk in the huge pasture show as spots so shaped on faces do. Such fleas, ere they approach the eye in multiplying glasses lie, they feed so wide, so slowly move, as constellations do above. Then, to conclude these pleasant acts, Denton sets ope its cataracts, and makes the meadow truly be what it but seemed before, a sea. For jealous of its lord's long stay, it tries to invite him thus away. The river in itself is drowned, and isles the astonished cattle round. Let others tell the paradox, how eels now bellow in the ox, how horses at their tails do kick, 
turned as they hang to leeches quick, how boats can over bridges sail, and fishes do the stables scale, how salmon trespassing are found, and pikes are taken in the pound. But I, retiring from the flood, take sanctuary in the wood, and while it lasts, myself embark in this yet green, yet glowing ark, where the first carpenter might best fit timber for his keel have pressed, and where all creatures might have shares, although in armies, not in pairs, the double wood of ancient stalks linked in so thick, a union locks. It, like two pedigrees, appears, on the one hand Fairfax, the other Veers, of whom, though many fell in war, yet more to heaven shooting are, and as they nature's cradle-decked will in green age her hearse expect. When first the eye this forest sees, it seems indeed as wood, not trees, as if their neighborhood so old to one great trunk them all did mold. There the huge bulk takes place, as meant to thrust up a fifth element, and stretches still so closely wedged as if the night within were hedged. Dark all without it knits. Within it opens passable and thin, and in as loose an order grows as the Corinthian porticos. The arching boughs unite between the columns of the temple green, and underneath the winged choirs echo about their tunid fires. The nightingale does here make choice to sing the trials of her voice. Low shrubs she sits in, and adorns with music high the squatted thorns. But highest oaks stoop down to hear, and listening elders prick the ear. The thorn, lest it should hurt her, draws within the skin its shrunken claws. But I have for my music found a sadder yet more pleasing sound, the stock-doves, whose fair necks are graced with nuptial rings, their ensigns chaste. Yet always, for some cause unknown, sad pair unto the elms they moan. Oh, why should such a couple mourn that in so equal flames do burn? Then, as I careless on the bed of gelid strawberries do tread, as through the hazels thick espy the hatching throstle's shining eye, the heron from the ashes top, the eldest of its young, lets drop, as if it, stork-like, did pretend that that tribute to its lord to send. But most the Hewell's wonders are, who here has the Holtfelster's care. He walks still upright from the root, measuring the timber with his foot. And all the way, to keep it clean, doth from the bark the wood-moths glean. He, with his beak, examines well which fit to stand and which to fell. The good he numbers up, and hacks as if he marked them with the axe. But where he, tinkling with his beak, does find the hollow oak to speak, that for his building he designs, and through the tainted side he mines. Who could have thought the tallest oak should fall by such a, such a feeble stroke? Nor would it, had the tree not fed a traitor worm within it bred, as first our flesh corrupt within tempts impotent and bashful sin. And yet that worm triumphs not long, but serves to feed the hewels young, while the oak seems to fall content, viewing the treason's punishment.
Thus I, easy philosopher, among the birds and trees, confer, and little now to make me wants, or of the fowls, or of the plants. Give me but wings as they, and I, straight floating on the air, shall fly, or turn me but, and you shall see, I was but an inverted tree. Already I begin to call in their most learned original. And where I language want, my signs the bird upon the bough divines, and more attentive there doth sit than if she were with lime twigs knit. No leaf does tremble in the wind which I returning cannot find. Out of these scattered sibyls' leaves strange prophecies my fancy weaves, and in one history consumes like Mexic paintings all the plumes, what Rome, Greece, Palestine, e'er said, I in this light mosaic read. Thrice happy he who not mistook hath read in nature's mystic book. And see how chances better wit could with a mask my studies hit. The oak leaves me embroider all, between which caterpillars crawl, and ivy with familiar trails me licks and clasps and curls and hails. Under this antic cope I move like some great prelate of the grove. Then, languishing with ease, I toss on pallets swollen of velvet moss, while the wind, cooling through the boughs, flatters with air my panting brows. Thanks for my rest, ye mossy banks, and unto you, cool zephyrs, thanks, who, as my hair, my thoughts too shed, and winnow from the chaff my head. How safe, methinks, and strong behind these trees have I encamped my mind, where beauty, aiming at the heart, bends in some tree its useless dart, and where the world no certain shot can make, or me it toucheth not, but I on it securely play, and gall its horsemen all the day. Bind me, ye woodbines, in your twines, curl me about, ye gadding vines, and oh, so close your circles lace, that I may never leave this place, but lest your fetters prove too weak, ere I your silken bondage break, do you, O brambles, chain me too, and courteous briars, nail me through. Here in the morning tie my chain, where the two woods have made a lane, while, like a guard on either side, the trees before their lord divide. This, like a long and equal thread, betwixt two labyrinths doth lead. But where the floods did lately drown, there at the evening stake me down. For now the waves are fallen and dried, and now the meadows fresher dyed, whose grass with moister color dashed seems as green silks but newly washed. No serpent new nor crocodile remains behind our little Nile, unless itself you will mistake among these meads the only snake. See in what wanton harmless folds it everywhere the meadow holds, and its yet muddy back doth lick till, as a crystal mirror slick, where all things gaze themselves, and doubt if they be in it or without. And for his shade, which therein shines, Narcissus-like, the sun too pines, 
Oh, what a temp, what a pleasure it is to hedge my temples here with heavy sedge, abandoning my lazy side, stretched as a bank unto the tide, or to suspend my sliding foot on the o- the osier's undermined root, and in its branches tough to hang, while at my lines the fishes twang. But now away my hooks, my quills and angles, idle utensils. The young Maria walks to-night. Hide, trifling youth, thy pleasure slight. Twere a shame that such judi- judicious eyes should with such toys a man surprise. She that already is the law of all her sex, her age's awe. See how loose nature, in respect to her, itself doth recollect, and everything so wished and fine starts forthwith to its bon mine. The sun itself of her aware seems to descend with greater care, and lest she see him go to bed in blushing clouds, conceals his head. So, when the shadows laid asleep from underneath, these banks do creep, and on the river as it flows with ebon shuts begin to close. The modest halcyon comes in sight, flying betwixt the day and night, and such an horror calm and dumb admiring nature does benumb. The viscous air, where'er she fly, follows and sucks her azure dye. The jellying stream compacts below, if it might fix her shadow so. The stupid fishes hang, is as plain as flies in crystal or tain, and men the silent scene assist, charmed with the sapphire-winged mist. Maria such, and so doth hush the world, as and through the evening rush. No newborn comet such a train draws through the sky, nor star new slain, for straight those giddy rockets fail, which from the putrid earth exhale, but by her flames in heaven tried, nature is wholly vitrified. Tis she that to these gardens gave that wondrous beauty which they have, she straightness on the woods bestows, to her the meadow sweetness owes, nothing could make the river be so crystal pure, but only she, she yet more pure, sweet, straight, and fair than gardens, woods, meads, rivers are. Therefore, what first she on them spent, they gratefully again present. The meadow, carpets where to tread. The garden, flowers to crown her head. And for a glass, the limpid brook, where she may all her beauties look. But since she would not have them seen, the wood about her draws a screen. For she, to higher beauties raised, disdains to be for lesser praised, she counts her beauty to converse in all the languages as hers, nor yet in those herself employs, but for the wisdom, not the noise, nor yet that wisdom would affect, but as tis heaven's dialect. Blessed nymph, that couldst so soon prevent those trains by youth against thee meant, tears, watery shot that pierce the mind, and signs, love's cannon charged with wind, true praise that breaks through all defense, and feigned complying innocence. But knowing where this ambush lay, she escaped the safe 
but roughest way. This tis to have been from the first in a domestic heaven nursed, under the discipline severe of Fairfax and the starry veer, where not one object can come nigh but pure and spotless as the eye, and goodness doth itself entail on females if there want a male. Go now, fond sex, that on your face do all your useless study place, nor once at vice your brows dare knit, lest the smooth forehead wrinkled sit. Yet your own face shall at you grin through the black bag of your skin, when knowledge only could have filled in virtue all those furrows tilled. Hence she, with graces more divine, supplies beyond her sex the line, and like a sprig of mistletoe on the fair Facian oak does grow. Whence, for some universal good, the priest shall cut the sacred bud, while her glad parents most rejoice, and make her destiny their choice. Meantime ye fields, springs, bushes, flowers, where yet she leads her studious hours, till fate her worthy, worthily translates, and find a Fairfax for our thwaites, employ the means you have by her, and in your kind yourselves prefer, that, as all virgins she precedes, so you all woods, streams, gardens, meads. For you Thessalian Tempe's seat shall, be, shall now be scorned as obsolete. Aranjuez as less disdained, the bel retiro as constrained, but name not the Idalian grove, for twas the seat of wanton love, much less the dead's Elysian fields, yet nor to them your beauty yields. Tis not what once it was, the world, but a rude heap together hurled, all negligently overthrown, gulfs, Deserts, precipices, stone. Your lesser world contains the same, but in more decent order tame. You, heaven's center, nature's lap, and paradise's only map. But now the salmon fishers moist their leathern boats begin to hoist, and like antipodes in shoes have shod their heads in their canoes. How tortoise-like! but not so slow, these rational amphibii go, let's in, for the dark hemisphere does now like one of them appear. You've been listening to Open Book, Season 3, which consists entirely of my readings of long poems or sequences. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, or perhaps with 400 of your closest friends on social media. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and send me Michael Elliott comments and suggestions via email, ullyot at ucalgary.ca. Thanks for listening.